This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Really exciting show today. We are going to use StatCast uh, in a fantasy-focused mode to look at pitchers who could really bounce back. We're going to have a few minutes of audio that I got with Darren Balsley, the pitching coach of the Padres a couple weeks ago in Arizona. And right here with me, we've got two of my favorite people in baseball. We have Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, hello. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm great. And here we have Darren Wilman here in the city with us, uh, MLB.com director of baseball research and development, probably best known as being the man behind the excellent BaseballSavant.com. Uh, which is going to be super powered with StatCast data very soon. Darren, thanks for being here with us. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. We have to note a StatCast moment in history. Uh, last night, if you were watching the eighth inning of the Giants-Diamondbacks game, which I know that you were, Pete O'Brien set a StatCast record. He had the hardest hit home run in StatCast history, 119.5 miles an hour off the bat. Uh, it's actually the third hardest hit ball. Giancarlo Stanton had two that were not home runs. So that's a record for Pete O'Brien, Arizona Diamondbacks catcher-ish, more outfielder, uh, and that's a name you should know now. That tells you something about he Peter He suddenly Brown. became a lot more interesting to me. Exactly right. Because <laughs> before you're just thinking of him as a guy with a bit of power, no position, maybe you know not a top prospect. And now you say, well, that's a guy who actually, he might have 75 power, he might have 80 power. Well, that's, I mean, this is basically why Randall Grichuk became a name last year. Was we immediately started seeing his name amongst the hardest hit balls on the StatCast leaderboards. And I was like, okay, we got to look at this guy a little bit differently now. Right. And because when you look at the list of hardest hit balls, it's Stanton, Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson, and then maybe Mark Trombo shows up, or maybe Carlos yeah, Gonzalez. Carlos Gonzalez is up like guys, there. like either great hitters or just prodigious sluggers. And then when these new names pop up, because I, I've been you thinking, look at them more differently. Like 120 seems like about the extent of what a human being can hit, just based on a half a season of John Carlos Stanton. And I know that everybody in the big leagues, if you're there, you're a quality, talented player. But I don't know that everybody, even in a perfect situation, could actually do that. And Pete O'Brien has now shown us he has that skill. And it was off uh, someone who had pitched Mike in the Broadway. major leagues, not just your regular, like, number 84 pitching in, in yeah. a spring training 21 game. games for the Giants last year. So this is a guy with big league experience who gave up this giant meatball. So unfortunate for him, but very cool for Pete O'Brien. <laughs> so, Darren, you're here. Uh, you and I have spent a lot of time together recently. We were out in Arizona a couple weeks ago at spring training. We presented at Sabre a whole deck about StatCast and all the cool stuff we're doing. And I think it got pretty good feedback. And one part of that I think that is just the most interesting is kind of showing where we're going to be able to use this data publicly. Uh, you showed a screenshot of actually being able to show outfield range on live broadcast that can move around with the guys showing them in real time where they're really good at catching balls or not. And I think that got a huge feedback. Right. So when I was down in Arizona, uh, one of the main things I was working on was taking some of these outfield range charts that I've been working on that I've been tweeting out and figuring out cool ways to use them. One being is in real-time live broadcast, we'll be able to superimpose these outfield range charts on top of the player, and they'll move in real time to show possible gaps in the outfield, how much range they can actually cover if they're overlapping between the right field and center field. So it's going to be really pretty awesome. It's kind of like how football got changed with the first down line, right? Like right. the yellow line. You, you couldn't imagine watching a football game without that. Right. Now. No, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you know this is just something that – 
I mean, we can hide it a little ways that way, but it's always there. I think that would be incredible. Yeah, I love the idea of, of you know, maybe watching a game and they super, we see the hitter's spray chart and we look at the outfield and see, oh, it looks like there's, there's a big gap in right center and this guy hits a lot of balls to right center field. Maybe they should change the way they're positioning him. Like that, that could really add a new dimension to, to broadcasts. Yeah, I think what we've learned is, is outfield stuff has really been like kind of the coolest stuff we're finding here because you just made another chart the other day, like an, an initial beta version 0.1 of uh, direction in the outfield. So you can see a guy who maybe has a really great uh, range efficiency going this way, route efficiency, maybe not so much that way, kind of the same thing for distance. Uh, and I think that's really interesting, and you've tweeted a couple of those out. Right, so you got to think, I mean, route efficiency is more than just one particular route so you want to think of it maybe one guy's really good at running routes towards uh, left center field one's really good at running to right center field and so by taking certain angles we can break down these route efficiencies to other directions not just one one number that says he he runs a 95 percent route efficiency overall but you kind of want to know which directions he's better at and which ones he's worse at right and uh, you know uh, speaking of the outfield one of the things that's been great about having you sitting like 35 inches away from me is even just before this we are looking up cool data that I don't think anyone's ever really seen before and that's outfield positioning so we were able to look at which center fielders for example are are usually positioned the furthest away from home plate and it seems like there's about a 35 foot difference on average and uh, we saw Dexter Fowler who was the last place and that's kind of exactly what you think it would be right last place as in closest closest yes okay yeah it's always cool when you when you're actually looking at this data and from the eye test you say oh Dexter Fowler plays really shallow and I forget who was number one on Kiermaier. our list. It was yeah, Kiermaier by Kier- a lot. Yeah, Kiermaier about like 15 feet or so. It's interesting to, to actually be able to look at this day and be like, man, Dexter Fowler plays really short and really shallow. And we run the numbers, and guess what? Dexter Fowler's number one yeah. uh, the, with the shallowest. Right, and that's literally something we pulled together in a, you know, 20 minutes, an hour ago. Right, and it, cool. another interesting thing, too, is uh, I, I had heard before that the right fielders for the Astros play super shallow, and we run this query. And th- two of the Astros outfielders were at the bottom, and, and the third was J.D. Martinez. He used to it was play. an outfielder. It was Astro. It was with the Astros. But let me ask you a question on that front, and this is obviously part of what you'll be working on as well, is I imagine the Yankees right fielders, by virtue of the short right field fence, play a lot shallower than the Red Sox right fielder, which has a much di- deeper fence, just by virtue of the dimensions right. of their ballpark. So how can we kind of like, how do you adjust for that and contextualize that? that that's what we're, me and Mike are actually discussing is, yeah, you, you want to make it park uh Park, uh, park adjusted. Park adjusted, right. I mean, because we looked at the data briefly, and, you know, the Colorado outfielders are all positioned pretty far, and that makes sense because there's a very big outfield there. Right, and, and what I'd shown you this morning where we had, um, I pulled up the Pirates outfield. They, they have a very deep left field, and uh, looking at the data, Starling Marte was, as you would expect, he plays a little deeper to cover all, all the ground out there, and he was at the top of the list. Yeah, and I think that's cool because there's been a, a topic of conversation recently that, you know, maybe McCutcheon isn't the best outfielder. Maybe they should have Marte in center. But when you look at it like that, maybe left field is bigger and more difficult to cover in that park. And so maybe it actually makes sense for the better guy to be in left than in center. Right. No, I, and that's what's so cool about looking at this data. We can actually start to be like, okay, yeah, this guy's playing 299. Maybe he should back up uh, at this park or this guy's playing way too deep. Kiermaier, as he, as he ages, maybe there's a number we can find and, we, and we'd be able to easily tell them, like, you need to play at 305 based on your speed and your attributes that we have through StatCast. Right. And, and like we said, you know, it is, it is version 0.1. We do need to get to, like, normalizing <laughs> for parks and all this kind of right. stuff. Right. It's not wind adjusted it's yet. It's not wind adjusted <laughs> yet. But, but the fact that Kiermaier plays deep and he's the best yeah, outfielder it the tells range. you a lot about it. tells you a lot. And also, I mean, you know, it used to be sort of a point of pride for Andrew Jones. It was like, oh, he plays shallow. It was almost like center fielders would take it as a badge of honor to say, oh, I, I play shallow. 
when you think about it, you really, if you're going to err on one side, you really should err on the side of playing deep, right? Well, and that's exactly what we're going to look to with the Cubs this week because Joe Madden's on record as saying he wants all his guys to play deeper. And Dexter Fowler is like, well, I always play shallower. And I think that's a big reason why the advanced metrics like EZR and DRS don't like him very much because the balls that, that he misses are generally extra base hits. And that's been a problem for him. Right. Another, an interesting person I saw at the bottom of the list is Adam Jones. I didn't expect him to be playing that shallow. For and that's cool because you look yeah. at the name on the list and you go, it's something to think about. That's right. something to look into. And I, I don't. He's also someone I'm pretty sure defensive. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think so. On, and I wonder if that's. Maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, he's one of those guys, I remember when he won a gold glove, the, uh, there was an outcry amongst <laughs> the, uh, the stat inclined folks on social media saying what a. You know, how absurd it was because of his poor DRS. Right. And, and you know, everybody wants these stack has to improve these metrics, and maybe we can get to It's not just about skill. It's about positioning and opportunity. And no so question. that's a great way to improve that. Uh, and then the other thing, we, you know, when we were in Arizona, we spent a, a considerable amount of time talking to someone from the front office of an American League team. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. And we started talking about spin axis. And I, I remember I was being like, I know you're not going to give away your secrets, but this is useful, right? If we were to spend our time looking into it, it'd be, it'd be worth our effort. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so we did very, very briefly for curveballs. And what spin axis is, is the direction that the ball is spinning, right? right. So if you, you can't see me using my hands right now, but like, you can go, <laughs> and, you know, if you want your curveball, you want it to be going kind of top to bottom spin. You don't want it to be going, say, left to right spin because that's right. a hanging curveball and mm -hmm. that gets crushed. And we very briefly looked at the data and you can really clearly see that for slugging, if the, the spin axis of a curveball is left to right hanging curveball, there's a giant jump in the slugging percentage that's going to get crushed. Uh, and that's a really good way to try to identify, you know, a hanger or, or a good pitch. Right, right. And I believe, who was at the top of the list? Uh, well, we're still working that out, but it's probably going to be Clayton Kershaw. Shocking. So that's a uh, way to give, Spoiler give away my secrets here, Darren. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, anyway, Darren, you are, it's really exciting that, to have you around, and we've been working on some really cool stuff, and I think if you follow at Darren W uh, on Twitter, you're going to see a whole bunch of cool charts. And well, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, Darren is awesome. I'm so glad to have him on our team, because uh, he yes. is just outputting crazy things, and uh, you know, it, what you see on Twitter, I think, is only a small fraction of what is actually being worked on, and I hope we can share a whole lot more of that. Too. Yeah, he's a fun guy to work with. It seems like every day he's like... Kind of like, oh, I'm working on this. It's like, oh, wow, how do you find the time? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, so, listen, it is fantasy baseball season. And, you know, every week we look at the we look at the podcast rankings, and usually the StatCast podcast does pretty well. But I can tell you that last week we got crushed by Fantasy 411 because it's fantasy baseball season. Yeah, that was a lot of me to, uh, listening to that uh, many episodes over and over again to prepare for my fantasy auction. So we're going to jump right on the train. Uh, last week we actually looked at a bunch of hitters who I think would be very interesting when looked at through a StatCast lens. Uh, and this week it's pitchers. And so we've got a lot of interesting guys here, and I really want to start with Drew Smiley from the Rays. I think most people, if they know Drew Smiley, it's either for injured shoulder or part of the David Price trade that everybody hated from Tampa Bay. Uh, and he's really been a fascinating guy. He hasn't made a ton of starts for Tampa, but when he has, 252 ERA, which is really good. Yeah, I mean, he's basically, I, I sort of like, he reminds me of uh, Rich Harden. Okay. Um, basically, Rich Harden, for those, if you don't remember, basically was part of sort of the secondary phase of the A's young pitchers, like not quite the same group with Mulder and Zito, but a little younger. And when he came up, he was an ace. Whenever he was healthy, he just was right. never healthy. Rarely healthy. And so Drew Smiley tried to rehab a shoulder injury rather than having uh, surgery. And it's worked so far. He's actually had a pretty good spring. Uh, ten innings and ten strikeouts in one run for what little you can put into spring training stats. Really, for me, it's just he looks like he's healthy. And that's all I want to take away from that. But we had something really interesting about him, about his fastballs and his pop-ups, right? What are pop-ups? Pop-ups are strikeouts. So when you look at Drew Smiley last year, uh, there, if you look at starters who had 50 innings pitched, there were 186 of those guys, and only 15 of them had a strikeout percentage above 26, Drew Smiley included. Only five of those 15 also had uh, an infield fly ball rate or a pop-up rate 
of more than 10%, Drew Smiley included. And here's the other four guys, along with Smiley. Steven Strasberg, Max Scherzer, Madison Bumgarner, and Noah Syndergaard. Those are good pitchers. <laughs> yes, and I think that's one of the things we are learning with StatCast and spin rate, particularly on four-seam fastballs. We saw it with Chris Young, um, that some pitchers succeed up in the zone with high spin rate inducing pop-ups. Yes. Um, and I feel like that's actually becoming a new brand of pitchers, is essentially pop-up pitchers. Uh, you know, it used to be ground, up, ground ball pitchers, but now you can get maybe not true pop-up pitchers, although Chris Young would be the closest thing there is, but like strikeout pop-up pitchers where you can sort of, if you can raise your combined rate of the two, you yeah. can be an effective pitcher working up in the zone. It's a skill. I mean, that's that's basically the Jared Weaver story for a lot of years up until he kind of went below the minimum velocity required to survive, right? But it, you're right about Drew Smiley's. When he got traded from Detroit to Tampa Bay, they told him, like, we want you to throw higher fastballs. We think it's a we think it's an undervalued skill. We think you'd be good at it. And clearly it's worked because when he's been healthy, he's been really effective for them. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's could be – he's the kind of guy that if he ended up in the top five in the AL Cy Young – Voting at the end of the year would not surprise me. No, and if he made five starts, it also wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> We're talking about a high fastball, so let's stick with uh, his former teammate, Justin Verlander. Obviously, Ger- Verlander's story is a little different. He was the best pitcher in baseball, or close to it, for a number of years. And then the last couple of years, kind of fell apart a little bit. And I think a lot of people saw the velocity declining. They thought maybe he had just had too much mileage on his arm, because he's really been around forever. Uh, but he had a really interesting season last year because his fastball got faster as the game went on. You know, you'd think that he would start off high and then sort of decline in velocity, and that's not what happened. But he started throwing it less often as the game went on, and he actually started getting hit harder. And so it's interesting to look at a guy who you, you don't think of as having a top fastball anymore, and maybe he should throw it more, right? He has the highest spin rate of any starting pitcher of 63 guys who threw it a thousand times. And um, that's I kind of goes back to what you're saying about Smiley. High spin fastballs that get strikeouts and they get pop-ups, and that's exactly what happened to him. And when you look at it, he he had a kind of a really terrible start to the season. First seven starts, he had about a five and a half ERA. Final 13 starts, two and a half ERA. And you look at his percentage of high fastballs, 15% in those first seven starts, 24% in the final 13 starts. He just strikes me as one of those those guys, you know, he was so used to so long for just being able to, I mean, he had, he had excellent secondary stuff, but he always had the velocity. And, you know, he gets into his 30s and maybe he doesn't quite have it. He has to sort of adjust the way he pitches a little bit and maybe last year as we sort of saw him making that that adjustment he's he's actually literally said that i think up until last season he'd never actually looked at data uh, about opposing hitters or about his own tendencies he just went out there and threw it and the fact that he was that successful without he was kind of turning i hate the phrase but turning from a thrower into a pitcher you know being a little smarter about what works and what doesn't and uh you could really see the difference i mean that's a three-run difference in era in those two splits yeah, um, there's a couple of names on your list I want to get to because, and I'll I'll go with these two starting pitchers because they are they're sort of tied together in a weird way, and that's Rick Porcello and Matt Harvey tied together going back to when they were amateurs because they were two uh, right-handed high school pitchers from the Northeast who sort of threw off the entire 2007 draft because they <laughs> kind of had these big, they were they were Boris guys with big bonus demands who dropped. Um, and here's your baseball America background <laughs> coming to show. It, it, I always think of them together uh, because it was, you know, high school pitchers from the Northeast, not usually big draft prospects. Porcello ended up signing at the end of the first round with the Tigers. Uh, Harvey f- dropped, I think, to the third or fourth round, taken by the Angels, didn't sign, went to North Carolina, drafted by the Mets out of college a few years later, have taken different paths. A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> have both had success at different times in their career. But let's let's start with Porcello, who last year had just signed a big extension with the Red Sox, was seen as kind of an unmitigated disaster. It's amazing. But it's, you see some things to like about Rick Porcello. It's amazing to think 
looking back, he was traded straight up for Giannis Cespedes. That was a trade that made sense at the time, and now you're like, oh my God, what was that about? Uh, you're right. So, Brick Porcello did not get off to a good start with the Red Sox, uh, and he actually ended up on the DL about two-thirds of the way through the season. A lot of people thought it was as much of a, a mental health break as it was anything physical. But when you look at the two parts of his season, before the DL, 581 ERA, that's a mess. After the DL, 314 ERA. And so you can't just look at the smaller sample size that you like and throw out everything else because it's not how it works, but you can look at it and see that he actually did make some changes. Uh, he's interesting because we talk about the four-seam fastball and high spin. He is a guy who benefited from using it less because I think he kind of fell in love with it before he went on the on the disabled list. He would throw it 30% of the time. He would throw it in the strike zone 45% of the time, but he's not that guy. He's a sinker bowler. He gets ground balls, and he came back, and he's a totally different pitcher. 49% sinker, only 18% four-seamer. He didn't throw the four-seamer in the strike zone as much. He kind of threw it out of the zone to get guys to chase, uh, and he was, he was much more successful. His strikeouts jumped. His ERA dropped. He's not going to be an ace because that's not the kind of guy he is, but that pitcher it can be a really useful guy. Yeah, particularly, in, in, I mean, in, in my fantasy auction, he was not even taken. See? Uh, he's, I think he's even, on waivers right even now. By I mean, I, even by you. Even by you. So you don't believe that. <laughs> I do, maybe I, I do now. Um, now, as for Harvey, I mean, bounce back, that seems, maybe bounce back's the wrong term for Matt Harvey. I mean, Matt Harvey's first year back, you know, up until the ninth inning of that World Series game. It was better better than anything you could have hoped for. And I think a lot of people pointed to he had that additional layoff that most guys don't have from Tommy John surgery. So he really came back, and he was fantastic. So I don't think anyone's going to sit here and say Matt Harvey wasn't great last year because he was. But if you kind of look at his season, and he's talked about his slider. He didn't feel comfortable with his slider until about halfway through the year. And the slider, when he, before the surgery, that was his pitch. I mean, that was Matt Harvey. That was the slider. And so he actually started using the slider more uh, in the middle of July uh, and not only more, he got more spin on it. He got uh, 250 or so more RPMs on the slider. And you can see the movement. It went from 2.4 inches in April to 4.9 inches in September. That's double the movement. And you can see he was pretty good through July, 304 ERA, 23% strikeout rate. Nothing wrong with that. July 25th and after, 215 ERA, 27% strikeout rate. I mean, that's Cy Young right there. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, when you look at the Mets pitchers, it's, you could go any him, DeGrom, or or Syndergaard, you don't know yeah. who's who's the, who's going to have the best season. But based on the indicators of the second half and sort of his his pedigree, it's hard to, to, to bet against Harvey. Matt Harvey could either be the NL Cy Young or the third best pitcher on the Mets, right? And have Isn't a good, that crazy? Have a good and have a good season. season both and that's not a bad thing for them. That's how crazy the Mets starting rotation is. <laughs> uh, so we have another uh, kind of a – this guy's more of a true bounce back, I think, Alex Wood, right? Came up with the Braves, and he was really uh, really successful right off the bat. And I think, you know, threw hard, had that really funky release point. And then uh, he went, got traded to the Dodgers last year, and they expected big things from him, and he did not really do much of anything at all. And he kind of came into the spring not even guaranteed a rotation spot until everybody got hurt, and now he's definitely in the rotation. I mean, he's an easy guy to kind of not believe in, not really through any do doing of his own, just because, like, you just don't see many left-handed starting pitchers succeed with that arm angle. You don't just, see humans with that arm angle. <laughs> you might see, you know, your... You're, you're Mike Myers. Am I dating myself in my Lugie references? A little bit. Or uh, uh, Javier Lopez, maybe? Sure. <laughs> but, like you, you but you don't see, see starters. Those are relievers, starters. like a Chad Bradford kind of guy, yeah. like a Brad Ziegler. I'm trying to go lefties. Oh, okay, fine. But, you know, that's one-inning relievers. It's, it's tough to see a starting pitcher that way. Um, so if you look at it, the data kind of backs it up. His first two years in the big leagues, his vertical release point, which is really just the point off the ground, he let go of the ball, 5.8 feet, 5.7 feet. All of a sudden last year, it dropped down to 5.3 feet. Uh, his velocity dropped. Uh, the vertical movement dropped on his curveball from six inches to an inch and a half, and that's not great when your curveball stops moving. 
And so what happened was, and I don't think anybody knew this until after the season, and this is yet another example of a guy playing through pain and not really letting it out. He, in his final start for the Braves, he hurt his right ankle. He, uh, he rolled over it trying to cover a ball at first base. And so when he got to the Dodgers and the Dodgers were trying to help him change his mechanics to get all that movement back, he basically couldn't do it. And I'm quoting from him. He was basically trying to find a way not to crush his foot every time he landed on it. And that's, that's a tough way to pitch, I imagine. I, I, I would imagine as well. So he spent all winter, he got the ankle healthy, he spent all winter trying to fix those mechanics. And uh, in theory, he's supposed to be back to the way he was. Obviously, we have to see it in games, but you know, the way that rotation is gone, he's going to get all the opportunity in the world. Now, you've got two more pitchers on your list. Both of them are relievers. They may not be fantasy relevant, but they're really interesting. So we'll talk, we'll get to them quickly. One of them is Alex Wood's teammate, and that's Chris Hatcher. Chris Hatcher. I, I like Chris Hatcher because uh, I got to talk to him in the locker room in Arizona, and he was actually a really fascinating guy. Uh, and I looked this up before I went in there, and I told him he had the quote-unquote Wade Davis fastball. And I say that because you compare it to Wade Davis, who is elite, uh, the fastball velocity almost exactly the same at around 96 uh, spin rate, spin rate about 2,400 RPM, almost exactly the same. Vertical movement, almost exactly the same. So I said to Chris da- uh, Hatcher, you have Wade Davis's fastball. And he laughed. And he said, believe it or not, that's the guy I watch film of when we're facing a team. So it's cool. He's modeling it after somebody, and he's actually making it work. Uh, he did not have the results that Wade Davis did last year, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, he was actually uh, pretty brutal, and I, I think it didn't help that he was tra- part of the D. Gordon trade, which is not very popular in L.A., he uh, pitched 18 innings before he went on the disabled list, 6.38 ERA, and that's a problem. And as he explained it, it's because none of his other pitches, other than the fastball, he could get over the plate. So no matter how good your fastball is, unless you're all the shabbin, if you're throwing just your fastball, probably going to get hit pretty hard. And so he was throwing it two-thirds of the time. Comes back from the DL, only throwing it half the time. And all of a sudden, in 20 and two-thirds innings, 1.31 ERA, 26 walks or 26 strikeouts and three walks. Uh, which is really impressive, and he also said that he changed the grip on his slider. He started using a curveball grip to get the slider to be slower because the problem was the slider was too close in speed to the fastball. He wasn't missing bats. He wanted to get more separation, and that's exactly what he did. The slider dropped three miles an hour. Uh, he had a 0.56 average against on the slider when he came back. So he's not going to get saves because Kenley Jansen is awesome, so that kind of hurts his fantasy relevance. But as far holds, as being... If you're in a league with holds, uh, maybe? Just like strikeouts, right? Yeah. And listen, Kenley Jansen has had his injury issues. You know, he hurt his foot last year. He's had cardiac issues before. All that takes is one thing, and all of a sudden, Chris Hatcher is the closer for a team that's expected to win a lot of games. One more reliever to get to, a converted shortstop. Um, he tells a little bit about Michael Gibbons of the Orioles. Yeah, I mean, I love conversions, and Chris Hatcher came up as a catcher. You know, Kenley Jensen was a catcher. Uh, Michael Gibbons, uh, not a, a name I think most people really don't know about, but you look at the numbers, and they're really eye-popping. He had 30 innings, 30 innings for the Orioles last year, 180 ERA, 38 strikeouts, and only six walks. Uh, what's really fascinating about him is he's a side armor, uh, but he throws with the movement of a three-quarters guy. Right? So the movement that you're expecting from a side armor, it's not what you get. Uh, and he, he throws at 95 miles an hour with above average spin. So he's got 23, 42 on his spin rate. But he's throwing it from the side, so the spin axis is different. So what happens is guys are expecting it to come in one way, and it doesn't do that at all. And even though it doesn't necessarily look like it moves a lot, I think that's part of the thing is you expect it to move a lot from a guy who's throwing sidearm. And so the fact that it's so straight is what really confuses hitters. It's sort of, I mean, it, it, it's a little bit of what we talked about a lot with Chris Young, just this sort of deception of the way he throws is not the way you expect him to throw. And even that it's in, a, in and of itself throws the hitter off. And we're going to take it back full circle here, where we were talking about high fastballs at, at the beginning of the show. 
he talked to Darren O'Day, his teammate, who is another side armor, about elevating pitchers. And we looked at Darren O'Day a while back. All he does is throw high fastballs and low sliders, and he's incredibly successful doing that. Michael Givens talked to Darren O'Day about that strategy, started throwing more high fastballs, and, you know, look at the numbers. Like, they leap off the page here. It's fantastic. You're right. He's not going to get saves either. But if you want strikeouts and you want a guy who's going to have opportunity, Michael Givens. Uh, cool. And now we have you talking to uh, Darren Balsley. Yes, I was in Arizona, as I mentioned. I went into Padres' locker room, and the Padres people were very gracious in helping me get to pitching coach Darren Balsley, who is uh, it's been around for a while, but he's a really interesting guy. He knows a lot about spin. He was talking about Chris Young's spin when Chris Young was on the Padres, which he hasn't been in about six years. So um, I asked him a little bit about spin and, and how they use it and what they find interesting about it. And uh, I found him really interesting. So take a listen. Uh, you've kind of been out there longer than I think most people publicly. You talked about Chris Young's side spin. Chris Young hasn't been here in like six years. Right. So when did that kind of come to your attention as something you could try to find useful? Well, we had, we, had a, uh, we had tools that measured spin rate a long time ago. I don't know how many years it was. But uh, I started realizing the guys who had more swing and misses with their fastball didn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily velocity. A lot of it had to do with command, but the spin rate things started showing up. So in past years, we would think, well, harder throwers get away with more mistakes. And I started realizing that guys who had the higher spin rate, no matter what their velocity was, were getting away with more mistakes. Now, obviously, you want your pitchers to not make mistakes. When you've got combo spin rate and command at the same time, it just seems like it, it, the ball, it used to be called late light. Um, or sneaky fast, which is actually what spin rate is. And I'm talking on fastballs. I know there's spin rate on breaking balls also, and it, it usually correlates. It, it usually, if you have good spin rate on your fastball, you usually have good spin rate on your breaking balls also. So when I do spin rate, I'm strictly talking fastball spin rate. Sure. Uh, so it seems like the, the Padres have kind of gone out and acquired some guys with really impressive spin rates. Like I was just talking to Drew Pomerantz. Uh, his spin rate actually kind of increased as the season went on last year. I know he wasn't here. But, uh, you know, is that something that... Anybody's been involved with, like, you kind of look at that when you're trying to acquire guys. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's attractive. It. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And it's, uh, it's a good evaluation tool. Um, usually when guys' spin rates increase, their mechanics get better and they're just more comfortable throwing the baseball. Okay. Uh, spin rates basically finish on your fastball, um, how you can reach out there and get through it. Uh, some guys tend to guide the ball at times and push it. Uh, but that, that comes with their mechanics not being ironed out and sound. So what Drew probably did, he got a consistent arm slot, maybe change his arm action a little bit and have the confidence to cut the ball loose, then that's when spin rate comes. So you think it can be taught? Like you can improve spin rate by grip or arm slot? It's not entirely natural? I think you're born with it. Uh, it's just the way your hand and wrist work and your fingers work. Um, you can help guys maintain it, and you can help them maybe increase it a little bit. But the, the elite spin rates, it's just like bat speed or anything else, or even foot speed. I think you're kind of born with it. But yeah. there, there are ways you can, just like any other athletic, anything else athletic can be doing, you can help them to improve with it. But you can't, I, I'm not going to say you can teach it where all of a sudden a guy's below average spin rate and a month later he's elite. That's tough to teach. Yeah. Now, is that something you use kind of in your own evaluations or do you talk to the guys about that? Because like, I asked Brandon Moore about it a little bit, Pomerantz, and they're vaguely aware of it, but they didn't seem to know a ton about it. I don't talk a lot a lot about to the pitchers. Um, I, I use other terms and other phrases. Yeah. Um, I mean, the guys who have elite spin rate, yeah, I'll let them know. Hey, you can get away with more pitches in the strike zone. You can challenge guys upstairs a little bit more. Other uh, guys who have below average spin rate, we work on other things like command, movement. Um, and coincidentally, or not coincidentally, 
once they're comfortable with the deliveries and making pitches, their spin rate increases a little bit. But it, like I said, it's, I think you're kind of born with this, with knowing how to get that, uh, you know, get the, uh, you're, you're born with the high spin rate. Yeah. It's hard It's hard to increase it by leaps and bounds. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard Gary Richards say he thinks he has an abnormally long middle finger. And that's why he gets more spin on it. Well, I have no idea if that's true, but that's what he thinks. There's different theories. <laughs> yeah. There might be a lot of things. Um, Did you do anything with uh, with useful spin, like the direction the ball is spinning, the spin axis? Does that come up at all? We, we talk about it yeah. as far as with our front office. I don't use it as a huge tool. I basically use my eyes. Yeah. And I think most, most pitching coaches, do, that's what they do. They use your eyes, and you can see if the guy has a spin rate without a tool, without a, you know, a measurement. Like I said, old school, it's called sneaky fast or life, late life. So I think, you know, as a pitching coach, you use your eyes more than anything. Would a change it kind of be an indicator of, uh, of injury, kind of like a lower velocity might be in your eyes? Um, good question. Yeah, uh, yeah. Guy's spin rate goes down, you might you might think something's up with his arm. Yeah. Uh, just like velocity. So I've never heard it put that way, but yeah, perhaps. Yeah, there's been some studies that say that that kind of could be an indicator. Yeah, sure. That's how you well, pull it, it doesn't okay. If you have something going on with your arm or any other part of your body, that's not allowing you to throw the base yeah. and finish in your pitches. Uh, last question for you. Obviously, you've been in Petco Park for a long time, and last year it seemed like offense was up in the park. They played almost neutral, and I think only five other parks had more home runs. Uh, do you think that was just something with the, the way the roster was constructed last year or something different about the park, in your opinion? No, I don't think the park has anything to do with it. I've said that for years. I just think we, uh, as a staff in general, we worked behind the count and didn't make quality pitches that our, our guys usually make for just one of those years. Um, you know, I know offensively, I think we hit more home runs at home the last two years than we did on the road, which doesn't happen often. But uh, no, I don't, the park factor didn't come into it in my opinion. I've, I've heard theories on, on scoreboard and buildings. Yeah, and temperature, kind of I think it was a hot year in San Diego. Yeah, but I've seen every ball hit in Petco Park, and I'm, I'm really fooled how far a ball is going to go or if it's going to stay in the park, and I think it's just... As far as the pitching staff goes, had uh, you know, worked in deep counts and, and more pitches were left out over the plate than usual. Great. All right. Appreciate your time. Thank you. So that was Darren Balsley, pitching coach of the Padres. Uh, thank him very much for, for taking a few minutes to talk to me in the locker room because I found him really interesting. Thank you to Darren Wilman, who was once sitting right next to me, MLB.com director of baseball R&D, and Matt Myers, who's always sitting right next to me, MLB.com national editor. It was a Darren-centric podcast. I'm, you know what? I think every week should be a Darren-centric podcast. So thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. We will catch you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.